the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the star of Fright Night, Project X, and House 2. Actor, writer, producer, Jonathan Stark. Jonathan Stark, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark. Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I'm happy to do it. I, I'm always happy to... Uh you know, talk to people who are, are fans or, of my work or the, sh- the films I've done or television or whatever I've done, you know, uh, I, I don't really act much anymore. I'm more do writing these days, but, uh, you know, I, I, I love to talk. So this is a, <laughs> a good thing. Well, that's, that's perfect for our podcast because that's all we do is talk. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, it's not just your acting. It's also your writing that we are big fans of and the television content that you've provided over the, the past decades, which is kind of crazy to think about in this day mm-hmm. and age. Um, I know I'm still writing too. I'm still, I got, I got some scripts in the pipeline and, you know, I mean, there's not <clears throat> too much happening right these days and, here in town and in the business, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm writing some stuff and it's getting out there. So we'll see. Oh, it's great. How are, how are you doing first and foremost with, with the current state of everything going on? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing basically the same as everybody else, uh, going out of my mind, <clears throat> working at my <laughs> wife and going, who are you and what day is it? And <laughs> you know, how long is this going to last? Yeah. So um, pretty much the same as everybody else. I mean, uh, usually the only real outing I get and see people other than my family live is we. Uh, I go over to a friend's house. I got an actor named uh, Peter Anarati. I don't know if you know who Peter is, but he's uh, okay. He's a, a terrific actor. He was on This Is Us and all these uh, great shows. He and his family. I've known them for years, and we go over there every Friday and sit around in a circle. Uh, with our face masks on and six feet apart and have martinis and we bring our own snacks. So that's kind of our, that's my only outing. It's kind of, um, this is, this is revolutionized the, 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 the importance of getting together with friends and family, at least, well, maybe more friends. I don't know about family, (laughs) but you know, it, it, it has, but, um, I am also, I'm doing some zoom, you know, um, things where I see people and I'm teaching a script development class through the groundlings, which is my old alma mater. I was, a, I've oh, been great. an improviser, still am an improviser for, I've been for a long time. And, uh, the groundlings is, is kind of hurting for money because they can't open their theater. So yeah. they've asked if, if any of the alumni or, or present, um, people in the company, you know, can do things where they can teach classes online and the money then would go to the groundlings to help them keep going. So uh, my former writing partner, Tracy Newman, and I are teaching a script development class through the groundlings. And uh, that's a lot of fun. But that's great. Zo- yeah. But Zooming is, is I, I, I've, yeah, there's a couple of Zoom improv shows on, on 
line and I've watched one or two of them and, and they're fine. I mean, they're not bad, but it, it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same yeah. as watching somebody live. And I miss that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got a five-year-old son or six-year-old. He's six now, a uh, year old son at home. And, you know, I, I tell him that this time is, is, this is going to be 20 years from now. This will be the thing he looks back and says, well, you, you remember when we had, this was our big moment, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's unreal. Uh, I said, my kids are, my kids are 23 and 26. Yeah. 23 and 26 respectively. And I keep telling them the same thing. I said, this is going to be a story. Uh, my daughter got married uh, to about a month and a half ago. And she had to, she went, she had to stand outside and the, uh, uh, the official, the uh, official was standing behind a, a piece of plexiglass and had to hand them all their, uh, marriage certificate and everything with one of those extender things, you know, Oh gosh, and they, had, yeah. and they had to wear masks. So I said, this is gonna, you know, it's gonna make a good story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> tell tell their kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, yeah, I, um, years ago I ran a summer camp and the, uh, my campers were uh, attacked by hornets and it's a long convoluted story, but I told the kids after it was all said and done and there were tears, I said, you know what guys, this is going to be something you're never going to forget. And so now one of the kids who's now 18 years old, he goes, you remember that time that the, the hornets attacked us? I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, that was, that was so cool. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I got, I so got summer I, camp once. Did you I really? Summer, I could... For a summer. Yeah, I was uh, up in uh, outside of Rhinebeck, New York. And uh, I had just kind of, I, I was kind of like hanging out in 1976, not knowing what I wanted to do. And um, I just, I just got this job. And so I went up there and taught for the summer, but I was just not the, I was not counselor material because I would like hang out with the, the kids in the woods and get high. So they, <laughs> so they were just, uh, they were not happy with me, you know, and they kind of, um, they kind of said, well, we're, you can't, you know, we were all in a cabin with the kids and they said, well, you can't be a counselor anymore, but we still need you to teach photography, which is what I did. And, and they, I said, well, so what are you going to do? They said, well, you, you just won't have a, a group anymore. So when the kids would have to get up at six o'clock, I sleep until nine. <laughs> you could... According to every uh, movie I watched in the 80s, actually, it sounds like you were counselor material. <laughs> uh, I think so. That's probably true. I, I, I got a horrible, the, the guy with, that ran that con, con, um, camp was just a jerk. Going, he, he gave me a horrible rating. You know, he, he said, I, I, you know, and I, I was terrified that, you know, whatever job I was going to have, it would just follow me forever. But, but you know, that's what you think when you're a kid. Oh, of course, of course. So did, did that, did that propel you into getting involved in acting or performance? Um, you know, I, what really kind of propelled me to get involved in acting was when I was at a, uh, when I was at college, I went to a, a private or a liberal arts school in Erie, Pennsylvania, where I'm from, uh, Mercyhurst College, which I guess is now Mercyhurst University. And, um, I was in the education department. I got it. I was getting my degree in art education, hmm. and uh, <clears throat> I had some friends that had some friends that were in the theater department. And you know, I, I took theater when I was. I did theater when I was younger. When I was in junior high school and stuff, we had the summer theater program, and I, I loved it. You know, I loved it, but I never thought it was something. I mean, being from Erie, you don't think it's something that you're going to do as a career. Yeah. So. Um, uh, I started hanging out with the theater people and, you know, cause education people were relatively boring. So, <laughs> so I, I hung out with the theater people and became friends with a lot of them. my, my college roommate was a guy named Michael Patrick King, who's a writer and producer. He did sex in the city and the comeback and um, oh, yeah. all those shows. And, and, you know, I just loved the theater and, you know, the rap parties and they were so crazy and kooky and fun and everything. And, and I really liked it, but again, I got my degree and uh, <clears throat> was kind of hanging out, just going to bars and thinking like, oh God, I guess I got to be a substitute teacher and everything. <laughs> uh, and, and a friend of mine said, hey, uh, 
you know, they're, they're doing 70, 1776 at the, at the college and somebody just dropped out. You, you should go, you want to go talk to the director? I said, yeah, you know, I'm not doing anything else. So I did and uh, got the part. And it wasn't, wasn't a big part. You know, I don't remember what part it was, but, um, I, you know, once I went back out on the stage and the audience was there and I, I just, I thought, you know, this is, this is, I love this. And yeah. uh, I thought, well, you know, I, I don't want to stay in Erie. Uh, it's, it's just not, there's no place to go there. You know, there's nothing to do. And so I, I thought maybe this is for me. So I went to this summer camp and I met this girl there and uh, she said, you know, I'm, I'm driving out to San Francisco and if you want to go. And I said, sure. So, you know, I <laughs> packed up all my stuff. We, we got, it was, you know, put it all, I had everything that I owned that could fit in a car, which is hard to believe now, but um, I did. And I, we drove out to San Francisco and we lived there for two years and I, wow. I, bust, I bust tables and, and I took an act, I took the acting workshop for two years. And, uh, and then I said, you know, I, I think I really do want to pursue this. So I, I figured it was best to come down to LA and, you know, not stay in San Francisco. Yeah, something tells me San Francisco is not the hotbed of, um, you know, acting at the time. But, uh, but, yeah. but, but to come all the way from from Pennsylvania all the way out to San Francisco, with what you just had in a car. What kind of car are we talking about? Is it a seventies you know, Volvo or? Uh, no, it was like a. I think it was a, a brand new Honda Accord. But you know, I don't know if you remember. I, I guess they still have them called drive away cars, where somebody wants yep. their car delivered basically and they don't want to pay to have mm. you know somebody you know a transportation service so what they do is you get in the car there you drive it out and you pay for the gas so basically it costs them nothing and you've got a car that that take you know that takes you to where you want to go and that's what we did so when we were in san francisco you know we didn't have any car or anything um, well that was so, that was the plot of uh that was the plot of the hitcher the c thomas howell Rucker Howard movie. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that. Where he had to drive cross country, and that's when he picks up a hitchhiker. But that's a whole other story. (laughs) Well, you know, I also I also hitchhiked across country twice, which was one of the highlights of my life. I, I, um, you know, I was when I was living in San Francisco, I went, I went, uh, always would go back east for Christmas because my mother lived in uh, Virginia Beach, so I would go visit her. But first, I'd always go to uh, uh, New York. Because so many of my friends from college, those acting people that I talked about earlier, were came to New York. I was one of the only people who went west. And so they were all there. So I'd hang out for about a week. And and we just hang out. We didn't have much money. I mean, I didn't even have enough money to get to New York. I, I had to, um, it would cost me, cost me like 50 bucks to get from wow. San Francisco to New York. And then... When I get to New York, my friend Michael King, who was living there, he was waiting tables at the time. And as soon as I get in New York, I drop my stuff off at his his house. I go to where he was working, and he'd I was starving, so he'd he'd give me just all this food, and then he'd charge me only for coffee. So <clears throat> we called it the magic menu, and uh, <laughs> that was my always. And then we just hang out with. I'm still a lot of friends with a lot of those people that I hung out with them. Oh, that's great. Do you still make uh, make your way out to the East Coast and everything? I, I grew up in Maryland and Virginia, so I've been to like oh, you yeah. know Virginia Beach and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and yeah. I still have fa- yeah. family in Maryland. Yeah, well, my mom's not around anymore, but my sister lives in Erie still, so I always go back uh, to see her every year. And then this year I was supposed to have a you know a high school reunion, but but that didn't happen. So. Uh, and, and now with everything, you know, with the, with the, you know, I don't want to go on an airplane right now. So yeah. I'm just, stay, I'm just here in LA until things uh, clear up a little bit. My and wife how- and I are supposed to go to, um, back to Maryland for a crab feast in August, you know, for my mom's mm. birthday, but oh, nice. yeah, I think we're leaning on, it's not going to happen, but I was, you yeah. know, it was going to be my wife's first, uh, crab feast cause she was uh, born and raised in LA. So she was, oh. she was all excited to, to try it, but you know, next year, there's always next year. That's one of the great things. Uh, my mother was the, the thing she loved more than anything, which I, I, I don't think I've ever had it, but she crab soup. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and she loved that. And, 
That is true. In Maryland, Delaware, the whole that whole area, the best best crabs anywhere. Yeah, that that's the one of the few the things I really miss uh, on being on the West Coast now is I really miss the Maryland blue crabs. Yeah, the seafood here kind of sucks compared to the oh, East totally. Coast. You know, yeah, yeah. totally agreed. <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. And how long how long have you been in LA now? Have you been here since? Oh my God, I got here in yeah, I got here in nineteen seventy. I think the the latter half of seventy seven or early seventy eight. I don't remember exactly. Oh my gosh. It's that long ago. Um, you know, and I've been here ever since. I I I've done you know, I I, I waited tables, I, I did a lot of for a long time I did a lot of ADR work or background looping. Okay. Um I I do you know what that is? Yeah, absolutely. We just um, yeah. I have another podcast where we interviewed Matt Adler and he kind of transitioned from screen acting to ADR work. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I did the opposite. I went from well, I was acting and then supplemented my income with ADR work, but I did so many movies like I did the Indiana Jones movies, I did uh, Field of Dreams, I did Rain Man. You know, I did all those movies and um, it was a great source of income. Yeah, but, totally. But during that time is when I got, uh, Tracy and I got our first writing job. So we had to, you know, obviously bail on the uh, ADR. Was she doing ADR as well? No. Uh, well, yes, actually she was doing ADR. She was doing it too. But I actually knew her from the Groundlings because she was one of the original members of the Groundlings organization. And uh, oh, wow. I kind of, I kind of just met her uh, through that and known a lot of other people that were involved with the Groundlings too, like Lynn Stewart and Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman and, you know, so many people that, that were just, you know, brilliant people and, and people that I would watch as I was learning improv because uh, I, I think the best thing that anybody can do when they're learning something is go watch people who are better than them or more experienced than them. And totally. I just did that all the time. Yeah, I, I think um, that that's really great advice. And you <laughs> were amongst what many would consider just iconic, uh, iconic actors from from that era, for sure. Hmm. How old do you have to be before you become iconic? I'm not exactly uh, sure, I... but <laughs> <laughs> I think now the I mean, the I'd 80s say Billy have Cole be... is iconic, the character. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, so. On our show, we break down movies kind of like scene by scene, and one and then Corey and I pick movies every now and uh, we like switch off picking movies. And I chose Fright Night to break down, and Corey hadn't seen it in a while. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen it in a while, but it is one of my favorite movies of all time um, for for many reasons. And uh, we had Stephen Jeffries on our show. Um, and actually he's kind of become a, a good friend and he's a great uh, guy. He's a one, yeah, wonderful person. And then we just recently had Tom Holland on the show and, mm -hmm. and reminisced about this movie and all the others that he's done. Um, but Billy Ragsdale Corey, does the best impression of Tom Holland ever. I mean, I, oh, I, I, I hope you can get Billy on sometime cause he's just, it's hysterical. Well, I think it's kind of going down that route because, um, <laughs> because, because Corey said to me, He's like, you know who I would really love to have on the show? I said, who? He's like, Jonathan Stark. Because I really, I, I, I really, I really want a Billy Cole in my life. What did you say, Corey? It was <laughs> well, the exact quote. Yeah, so the when I was watching the, you know, the movie, it was, I'd seen it when I was younger, but it was, I hadn't seen it in a while. So I was really digging into it. And truth be told, my favorite character in the movie was Billy Cole. And wow. I was just like, dude, he's like, he, it's like, you know, Billy Cole's supposed to be a bad guy. Jerry Dandridge's quote unquote supposed to be the bad guy. But I'm watching the movie and I'm like, those aren't the bad guys. Those are the good guys. Like, I, that's the kind of friend you want. You want a Billy Cole in your life. So I, you know, I, first off, we were trying to figure out what Billy Cole was. And, and Tom Holland uh, explained to us that he's like half vampire, half maid. But my, my other question to Tom Holland was, where do I get my own Billy Cole? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I do the horror cons. I haven't done one for a while, but uh, I do the horror cons and people always come up to the table and go, oh my God, it's you. And I, and I, I want to say, no, I'm not that guy. You're thinking I'm that guy. I'm not that guy. And one, one woman came up with her husband and her kid one time. She goes, seriously, I, I want to marry Billy Cole. 
And there was this really <laughs> awkward moment. And I just said, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I'm not him and I'm married, right? I mean, we all laughed about it, but it was like, that's, wow, that's a little weird. Um, <laughs> well, and, and who would want to marry that guy? <laughs> <laughs> he's a half vampire, but yeah. he's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, anybody, yeah. anybody that can get uh, Roddy McDowell to feel uncomfortable and kind of give him an awkward handshake uh, is, is okay. <laughs> is okay in my book. Ah, <laughs> uh, Roddy, we we always every you know every time one of the true joys of my life is doing a horror convention when the whole cast is there, uh, yeah, because they are just the most wonderful people. And so so warm and just just so funny. I mean, they we we just crack each other up the whole time, and that 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 happened on the set too because, you know, you see, I haven't watched it in forever, but you see these scenes where everybody's so serious, and I always remember that right before this Tom said action, we were laughing so hard we were cracking each other up. That's and awesome. Tom was just like, all right, you guys, come on, all right, call, 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 action. And we just put on our, our scary faces and proceed. But it, it was, it, to me, it was just, all I remember was just laughing the whole time. Hey, kid. What are you doing? Nothing. Oh, yeah? We just make sure that it stays that way. Yeah, I was going to say that energy, I think, comes through because Zach and I, at this point, you know, we, we watch all, a lot of these movies and, and some are good, some are bad. And, you know, that's subjective. But some what, a lot of times you can actually like feel the love, even if the movie is quote unquote bad, you know, you can feel the love uh, that that was behind it and the energy that was behind it. And not and Fright Night is not a bad movie. We, we love Fright Night, but you can also feel like the 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 energy in that movie, you can feel the love behind the characters, and and you know you can feel the love with the actors and whatnot. At least that's how I perceived it. And I, I think I think that was one of the the joys that comes through on the screen in that movie. I think you're absolutely right. At least from my perspective, it was. I mean, I, I'm sure there were there were problems on on the set. There always are on every set, but I was not uh, privy to them. And and I would just come on and well, it was my first real acting job too. But most of the time, I was terrified that I was sucking. And I, I would, oh, really? I would, I would, yeah, I, I would, I, the, the, uh, the script supervisor, Mavis, Mavis Gerard, who's a wonderful woman. And, you know, the person you always want to ask if you're sucking or not is the script supervisor because, because she or he are standing there watching your performance over and over and over. And I would always, I would do a scene. I, well, you know, Mavis, is, is that okay? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what she's going to know. She goes, no, yeah, it's wonderful. You're absolutely right. Absolutely perfect. And I was like, okay, she's either bullshitting me or she really likes it. But uh, I was never sure because, you know, I mean, Tom is busy with a million other things. I'm not going to go up to Tom and I'm not going to say the other actors, yeah, he's that good. So, uh, so I, I just kind of was on my own. And then the, uh, the, the film was done and they had a screening at the uh, Academy Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and everybody's going to go with me. And I thought, man, if I suck, this is going to be the worst experience of my life. So I said, well, I'm not going. So I, I, not only did I not go, but I fled to New York to hang out with my friends oh, there. And, and, I, and apparently the screening went well and it was well received. And I thought, well, damn, but that's okay. I'm, I'm in New York. And, and my friend said, when it opened, my friend said, okay, we're, we're going to go see it on 42nd Street. And if you've ever seen a movie on 42nd Street, especially back in the mid 80s, yeah. it was it was the best place to watch a movie because people were yelling at the screen and basically saying, look out, look out, look out, here comes Billy and, you know, and look out, Jerry's there. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. I was, I was so glad I saw it there and not at the Academy with a bunch of, you know, Hollywood stiffs. <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's funny you say that because um, in LA, I'm sure you're familiar with the New Beverly, and oh yeah, they they did a screening, uh, actually also at the Arrow, sorry, at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, they did a screening of Fright Night. Fright Night has been screened 
all over the place um, oh, yeah. you know countless times and and it is seeing it with an audience that appreciates it for what it is and has a sense of humor and is not worried about who they you know how good they look or right. or whether you know or money or whatnot that's the audience you need to see this movie with yeah i i i know there was one not too long ago 3 or 4 months ago but it was something like two in the afternoon and I couldn't see it. I know they did a midnight one and my friend Tab Murphy, who's a screenwriter. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, Tab is, is just recently, uh, they, they're going to shoot the, uh, his uh, adaptation of the changeling. They're reshooting oh, that. Fantastic. And they're oh, doing that in that Ireland movie. and it's a terrific script. So, uh, and much, you know, in my opinion, much scarier and, and, and than the original. Um, the, the, you're talking about the George, the George C. Scott, George C. Uh, Scott one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, cool. He, he rewrote, they, he rewrote it and they're shooting that soon whenever things, um, cool down here. But anyway, uh, I know there was a, he told me, I said, Oh, there's a midnight screen and we should go. And I was like, yeah, okay. Okay. And then I just never got to do it. But if they did that again, I would, if they did another midnight screen, I would definitely go and, and I would go and, and talk. I, I, I have no problem with that. Well, uh, Corey and I have, have mentioned quite a few times in the past how, because our podcast has gained quite a bit of popularity since its inception, which is about a year ago, and we've talked about potentially doing screenings with guests uh, in the future, and um, you know, to uh, in in tow with our show. So there could be a fright night screening down the road that uh, we'll definitely keep you up to date on. Well, let's do it. I mean, I'd love to do it. I'm, I, I, Tom, you can't. You, Tom's always happy to talk about himself. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, clearly, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, but, but nobody else lives in here in LA. I mean, they're all gone now. Um, so, but you know, you never know who might be in town, but yeah, I mean, and it, it really should be a midnight screen because it's for Sprite night. That just seems like the appropriate time. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it's definitely I, perfect. I saw you, you were at a Fangoria convention years ago. Um, I, I want to say 1994, maybe, wow. um, down in uh, down in Burbank, mm, and mm -hmm. it was a it was a reunion because uh, Tony yeah. Tony Timpone has is a is a friend of mine and a friend of a friend of the show, and um, and we brought I brought up that convention specifically because I said it was one of the one of the greatest convention memories that I have um, as a you know teenager kid or whatever, just because you guys truly enjoy being in each other's company and everybody was there i think Rod ronnie had passed away at that point unfortunately um but everybody the entire cast was there along with tom and again yeah what you're saying about that that energy on screen just it, it was infectious and and you know clearly you guys have fond memories over all of that movie and and you did not suck you did not. Uh, no, well, no, I will agree with you at this point, but, uh, um, it, 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 you know, it, it's true. We, we, I didn't work with Steven that much. And, uh, Steven also was, you know, Steven was, he was, he was standoffish because he was doing this character and he's a brilliant actor. I just think he's terrific. Yeah. He and is. so I didn't really have much interaction with him. Uh, but, but everybody else I did and we it just, enjoyed working with each other so much. We, we all look forward to it. We all laughed a lot. And Steve and I actually got to know uh, more at the uh, horror conventions. And now I, I, I just, I just love him. He's like the sweetest, nicest guy. And, um, you know, he, he's been through a lot of tough times in his life, but he's, yeah. he's emerged victorious and he's doing great. And I just, so look forward to seeing him along with everybody else. I mean, like I said, I haven't one done one in a probably two year and a half or two years, and I kind of write to everybody and go, "You guys doing them?" And sometimes Chris and Billy and Amanda will, and Stephen will do, but I won't be invited, so I don't get to see them too often. And I think Chris did an online one recently, but yes. again, I, I don't even know what it. One of those online ones is like i just i can't imagine well you heard it here first um we're inviting you <laughs> we're the you're the first one to be invited <laughs> all right all right it's gonna happen and good. i will tell you yeah steven it's kind of ridiculous steven uh loves literature and he just read war and peace for the second time 
Oh my God. He's so smart. That's hardcore. <laughs> and I said, I said, <laughs> I was talking to him the other day on the phone. And I said, are you reading that again? He goes, yeah, it's actually more enjoyable the second time around. <laughs> okay. Oh God. He is <laughs> such an interesting guy. I, I just, I just adore him. Well, you know, and, and we, we could talk about Friday night all day long because it, it was my movie that I'd fall asleep to at night. It's a movie that uh, actually uh, I'm talking to Brad Fidel next week who did the soundtrack oh, for it. Yeah. Um, just, I think it's a flawless modern day classic. You but know, you... I have to say, I have to say that that a long time ago, I don't know how long ago, but I did a podcast uh, called Fright Night Minute. I think it's called. I don't know okay. if you've heard of it, but the guy they take every minute of the movie and do a half hour or forty five minutes on each minute, and they they you know they asked me to do it. And I said, yeah, okay, but I don't even remember most of the movie. How am I going to remember each minute? I, I honestly won't be able to help, wow. help you with that. He said, okay, well, we'll just interview you. I said, that's fine. <laughs> that's that. Speaking of hardcore, that is pretty hardcore. That is <laughs> One really minute. hardcore. Yeah. I, I don't think any of us would know. Yeah, it's true. I, I don't think any of the cast know more about the movie than almost everybody that, that comes to the conventions or you guys or whatever. You, you know much more about the movie than we do. This chunk of time for you, like 85 to, to 87, 88, uh, was a lot of great movies and, and television as well. And um, you did Project X with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hung out with Matthew and, uh, and uh, Jennifer Grey, and, uh, who, who was dating at the time. And uh, um, gosh, why am I? forgetting her name, the woman that started oh, with Helen, Matthew. Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Helen, yeah. We, we would, we would kind of all hang out together and, uh, they, and they were all wonderful. You know, I, I've been really lucky, you know, I've, I've worked on some terrific films, but you know, when you work with chimps, that's always a interesting thing because, you know, we had to, we had three days of, you know, kind of us learning what not to do pretty much because, but I remember the guy, coming on and the first the first day goes all right just want you to know that you never look the chimp in the eye you look him in the eye they think that's a challenge you're gonna rip your arm off and beat you to death with it i'm like great that that's fun this will be great (laughs) so uh but you know they they were especially the the chimps that were in the uh in that were circus chimps they they were not happy i mean obviously they had horrible lives and they were not happy uh, campers. And uh, I had one, I think there's a scene where I'm walking down the hallway and, and, and one walks by me the other direction. And, and the trainers, what the, the people that had them in the movie were actually the trainers. And boy, that chimp just jumped toward me and that trainers pulled him back. And I was like, oh, oh God, <laughs> I don't know what he would have done to me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, pulled your arm off and beat you with it probably. It, probably, yeah. I used to be a teacher, a kindergarten teacher, uh, for fi- over 15 years before ah. I transitioned into voice acting and podcasting. Um, but one of my parents was uh, Brian Robbins, and he was working on the film, uh, I think it's Dr. Doolittle perhaps, but he brought the, the uh, monkey to school um, for the kids uh, and <laughs> to yeah. see. Oh, God. And it was a very, like, it was all good. It, it worked out fine, but I, I was really nervous and uncomfortable about it because I thought, what if this thing just like, they're very unpredictable, you know? And yeah. uh, so I can imagine you were in that moment, you were probably like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's good to be nervous about wildlife because, you know, they're not really, they're not bred to be our friends. I mean, they, they can be nice to us, but, but, you know, I don't think you can ever turn your back on them. Why would you? No. Well, and, and I think that movie effectively captured this idea that, you know, we should, we should not be putting these things in cages and experimenting on them. And, and it's project X is, is a, is a personal favorite of mine just because I, I watched it a number of times back in the day and, and, and just have a fondness for it. Um, well, yeah, I think too. I mean, I, I know after the fact there was all this uh, stuff about the chimps being, you know, abused. I, I never saw any of that, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. True. Yeah. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't get your arm ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
but then going from that you went into did, did you film house two after that or around the same time let's see i no i think i did house two after fright night i think i did i don't know i'd have to look on imdb i don't even remember but i'm pretty sure i did i, I went into house two after fright night um we love that movie no by the way. no no wait a second i might have done I, you know, I know that I had a, a, a serious uh, crew cut for uh, uh, Project X. Yes. So, yeah. and I know my hair was short for House Two, so I might have just I might have gone into House Two because my hair was so short at that time. So, uh, maybe. maybe yeah. Well, yeah, you. It's it's almost like you pu you just pushed it down. In, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Last year, audiences everywhere thrilled to a terrifying film about the horrors of home ownership. House. Now, there's an all new house. It's like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. With brand new owners. Charlie. Huh? We got it. And it's getting weirder. Look, it's a prehistoric bird. I've seen enough tragedy and disaster to make you want to upchuck in your shorts. Two friends inherit a fantastic house. Charlie, there's a jungle in there. And a 170-year-old mummy. Surprise! Who is this? You can call me Gramps. Now, they're in for more trouble <laughs> than they ever imagined. You're gonna kick the door open, run in there blindly, and I'll cover you, okay? <clears throat> Guy with the big gun goes first. House 2, the second story. This place gives me the creeps. I used to watch that all the time as a kid. I uh, my I kind of grew up, um, you know, the latchkey kid scenario. My my grandpa uh -huh. would would sort of you know watch me when my mom was at work. So I kind of like kid grandpa movies, and and this one actually is one of those. And so yeah. you know I I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh man, I love this movie. But I'm you know I'm watching it also for you and everything. And again, your performance, you're just it's so much fun. Your your character Charlie's just so much fun. And again, it's like, oh man, I want a friend like that. You know, like always down for an adventure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's funny because a lot of people will look at me, especially at the horror conventions, as uh, the vampire killer or the vampire, you know, the, the mean, nasty guy, the villain. And it's great to play a villain. I, I had it, it's it's fun for any actor to play a villain, but I'm I'm closer to Charlie than I am <laughs> Billy Cole. I, I you know, I, I'm more of the irreverent kind of guy who always saying stuff that he probably shouldn't say. <laughs> and is probably getting friends into trouble. So uh, I, th I think that, you know, to me, it was certainly closer to who I was. And when I, I haven't watched the thing much. In fact, I hadn't watched it, you know, I don't think since it first came out until they had the Blu-ray set. And uh, <clears throat> I watched it, I thought, you know, I, I was pretty good in that. And I hadn't considered that really, that I was, you know, because it was, you know, it was a movie that, you know, did fine but it's not considered certainly high art and i and you know and you just kind of watch it and you just kind of think about it you go well yeah i was probably fine in it. but then you watch it and you go well everybody was i mean ari was terrific in it and and uh royal was you know brilliant royal was just excellent yeah it's and, got a it's, it's got a great cast and, and, and a young bill maher at the time too when bill maher who was very John funny Ransenberger. i mean every time i see him in yeah. that there's some lines that just still make me laugh and you know i watch his show all the time i love his show yeah uh, ditto so uh i i i yeah it was again it was it was a really good experience and uh ethan was was a great guy and um i you know, I loved Ari and I had great chemistry and I loved working with Ari. We, we enjoyed working with each other very much. In fact, I had lunch with him. I hadn't had lunch with him in a long, long, seen him in forever. And I think in February or something, we, we right before this all happened, we had lunch together and, and we had some great memories and some good laughs and, you know, we're still buddies. And every once in a while I have, you know, I'm on Facebook and I'm not on Facebook, eBay. And, uh, I, I, have this search thing in that if anything comes up for house two, uh, <laughs> I, I at least see what it is. And there's stuff like, there's stuff like Caterpuppies. They made 
these caterpillars. Oh, really? Um, uh, yeah, things for you know for advertising. I guess they'd send them to I don't know who they send them to theater people or owners or something. I don't know what. And then wow. they had like t-shirts and sweatshirts and all this stuff that I never knew. I never got any of that stuff, but um, yeah. So I always I always forward whatever it is uh, that's a house two thing to Ari, and we always get a good laugh out of that has just a such a fun energy to it that you can just yeah. tell people are having fun in that movie it, it is and you know uh, uh, again i i wouldn't I, I i don't know if i'd recommend it to people because i always think people will always think yeah you know it's just a kid's movie and stuff and it is i mean it's certainly not nearly as dark as as the first uh, house which is in my oh, no. i love the first house uh movie yeah. it's great and uh so I don't, I don't really go like, yeah, yeah, I should watch it. But I say, if you have kids, sit down and watch it with your kids and see what you think, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's well, something that, that, that uh, was bigger back then and doesn't really happen as much now is like these sort of kind of kid-friendly adventure movies, but also skirt the line of danger, skirt the line of, of you know, they, they're sort of, uh, you know, there could be bad outcomes here, whereas now it's just everything's like, okay, you know, nothing ever bad's going to happen. But back, you know, back in the 80s, you had like Monster Squad, The Goonies, and House yeah. 2, even though he's, he's not a kid in it, but... It's it, or Ari isn't his character isn't a kid, uh, but it's still it has that sort of same vibe to it, which is which yeah. I feel like is really lacking these days. I think I think probably. I mean, I, I'm a huge horror movie fan. I mean, I watch as much as I can. I mean, I don't really particularly. I try and find them for free because I get so pissed off when it's a bad movie and I've paid five bucks or six bucks for it. <laughs> um, so I try and wait till it's on Hulu or Netflix or whatever. Um, but right now I'm watching Midsommar and oh, yeah. I don't know if okay. you, that's fucking nuts, man. I, I'm, yeah. I'm halfway through it and it's crazy. Have you I seen mean, Hereditary? So, have... I have seen Hereditary. I saw the screening of Hereditary with the, with the director there, uh, Ari, uh, I don't think his last name, but. Aster. Uh, yeah. yeah, Ari, Ari Aster. And uh, yeah, I, I liked Hereditary a, a lot and, and it's so weird, this movie that I'm kind of half three quarters of the way through it. And I'm, it's just freaking me out. Are you a fan I, I, more I, of modern horror or are you a fan more of the, the classics or, or I would what, say what more, a... I would say more modern horror. I, okay. I, I don't see you know, vampire movies. Don't really scare me at all. I don't really believe that they, I just can't get into them, you know? And yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I like movies more about the supernatural trying to think of a good one i've seen lately oh i saw uh brightburn which i liked very much oh, oh that was fun uh, i saw that in seen... theater yeah 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 I, that was terrific and those are the kind of movies where you just kind of take a chance and again it was it was on netflix or something like that and then you go wow this is this is really good uh i saw uh what's the new one with nick cage the one about the meteorite coming down and, oh yeah oh color out of Corey. space we color reviewed that on, on the show yeah we love yeah, that movie that's really good, you know, but, but, but then, then you buy, like I said, you buy one and you watch for, you know, 15 minutes and you go, this sucks. I just wasted my <laughs> money on this thing because it's horrible. I watched one on Netflix. This was years ago. It was so bad. It was so bad that, that at the end of the scene, I swear to God, hear the director say cut. <laughs> no, no, really? <laughs> Uh, oh, really? No. Yeah. Was it a was it a full moon entertainment movie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I don't remember much about it, but uh, it was. Oh my it gosh. Was, I was so mad about that. Well, you know, it seems like Corey and I, because because we love horror so much and cult and sci fi, um, and, and we are discussing more kind of modern classics recently. Um, you know, we had a we had a de uh, director on our, our show, Stephen Kistansky, and um, and he directed a movie called The Void, which is kind of a an indie um, Lovecraftian type film. And yeah, I don't uh, know if I've seen and, that. Yeah, and, and you know everything from like It Follows to The Guest, um, You're Next. These movies are like mm -hmm. it's nice to see a resurgence in um, this love of because there's an element of '80s energy to these movies that we love and i think that's why they're standing out yeah. is because there's we're getting uh, directors now who 
who are just fans of filmmaking and fans of cinema. Right. And you also have, you're, you're having uh, producers and people are, who are willing to invest money now because they know that even though the, the major studios may not want it, they'll, they'll make their money back on um, streaming and, and uh, cable and, and digital and whatever. So they're more willing to ante up money for that than they totally. would have been if it was just a studio film, which, you know, they're looking for tentpole movies and, and that's not going to, you know, most of these movies are not going to be that. I do find that Tubi, uh, T-U-B-I, that free <laughs> free app, whatever, they have a fantastic selection of like cult horror movies from back oh, in the day. Oh, wow, really? I'll have to check that out. I, I have Apple TV, so I'll check it out. Yeah, it's yeah, free, and, yeah, it's a good and one. you don't have to worry about spending five bucks on something. <laughs> you know what's another? You know, there's two other good services. I don't know if you have, you have Canopy and Hoopla. Oh, Hoopla, I Hoopla, yeah, I do have Hoopla. And Canopy is the same thing. If you have a library card, you get a certain number of uh, uh, rentals for free, and they've got some terrific films on the on both. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, oh, yeah. We, shout, we talk... shout out to libraries. Uh, libraries are a great source to, to get to go rent movies. So you know, once you know life opens back up again, go support your local library. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm giving a lot of my digital, you know, my DVDs away to the library because I, I don't really, I don't really watch them anymore. And they should have them so other people, some people can have them. Yeah, absolutely. Go to the library and get the movies. Yeah, that's definitely been one of the things we've missed. My son and I would take our our weekly trip to the library and um, you know, movies and books and whatnot, and we're looking forward to that reopening again someday. So yeah, <laughs> but I was gonna say, um, speaking of you know producers being a big obviously a, a big piece of that puzzle, you transitioned into producing, right? And um, working on The Ellen Show, and obviously, like her big coming out episode, you were a co-writer on that, right? Yeah, and, and, and producing is kind of a, it, it, it's in, in name because a producer in Hollywood who produces a big film is one thing, but as you become a writer, you start out as a staff writer and then you go into, uh, I don't know what the next step is, but you end up being supervising producer and then co-executive producer and then executive producer if you're running the show. And uh, so it, it, so in that way, yes, by default, you become a producer. And then when I did, uh, when Tracy and I did According to Jim, we were the creators. So we were producers in that sense, yeah. But we didn't. We okay. never were producers in the sense that we would get the money and the you know dis distribute uh, distribution rights and all that stuff. No, we, I've never been that type of producer. I did a hundred and eighty four episodes of According to Jim, and the person that wow. puts the uh, the person that puts the uh, wrapping on the DVD cover makes makes more money than I do per DVD. So. <sighs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, writers just get, look, it, it's a good business. We make good money when we make good money, but you know, it's, it's not particularly good. It's as far as residuals and other things like that. It's, we got to fight for everything we, we get. So that's what the writer's guild is for. Thank God. Is, is according to Jim, your, the favorite show the, of the, of, of the shows that you've been a part of is, is that your, the one you hold nearest to your heart? No, no, not at all. Um, uh, I think. I think probably my favorite show I ever did was Bob. Okay. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was Bob Newhart. It was the third kind of incarnation of, be, I think it was Bob, I would think it was Newhart and Bob Newhart. And then this was Bob and it ran, yeah. he was a cartoonist and it ran for a year and a half. And it was just, I thought brilliant and funny. And it was such a fun writer's room. It was my friends, Bill, uh, and Sherry Steinkellner, who and Thief Sutton, who created it. So we were in the writer's room with all of them. And uh, if, if you ever get a chance, I think on Amazon they have the uh, the DVD of the season and a half. And I'm telling you, it is so worth buying because the shows are are so funny. And Bob was one of my heroes. You know, growing up, I had the button down oh, line yeah. of Bob Newhart and and his and his records and i would listen to them over and over because i just found him to be so funny because he he was so low-key and did almost nothing and it would just make me laugh so uh when i got this job i was so thrilled because you know before each show uh usually a warm-up person will come out and do 15 20 minutes for the audience to get them going and laugh and everything 
instead the warm-up person Bob would come out and do stand-up for 15 or 20 minutes oh wow and I would just so cool. I would just sit there and it was just I was in heaven yeah um, and yeah. I also got I also got to play a, a, a green in the episode in one of the episodes called tell them Willie Mammoth is here I got to play this um, big green elephant in this huge costume so that was fun <laughs> for me too <laughs> yeah. It wasn't too hot in there. <laughs> it was no, but it was claustrophobic, and I never yeah. knew I was claustrophobic until that I put that head on. But I think you can well, even probably you could probably even find it on YouTube if you just type in "Tell them Willie Mammoth is here." Uh, you well, might be able I, to find he, part of it. Bob Newhart is he's a national treasure. Um, he is. He, he really is, and yeah, I remember that show fondly. Um, mm -hmm. As do I. Yeah, Corey, Corey and I are both, la like like he said, we're both latchkey kids who spent, some might say spent too much time in the tele in front of the television. I well, so say did I. maybe so not did enough. I, you you yeah. did as well? Oh, yeah. So what you so you grew up on watching a lot of sitcoms from back in the day. Sure. Like, what were you, what were some of the sitcoms that you loved when you were a kid? You know, I loved uh, Lucy. I mean, I, yeah. I and, and not the black and white ones, really, but the ones when she was, um, you know, Lucy, she always, always had different names, you know, when Gail Gordon was on and, and uh, the, the, those were, I loved those shows. And of course, I was, I loved the monkeys. The monkeys to me was, oh, yeah, Close was one of those great. things I, I watched and, and it was just like, wow, comedy can be different than, than what I usually see. It, it has the possibility to be different. And then, of course, I grew up in Erie, which was right across the lake from Canada. So we get the feed from Kitchener and that was where I first saw SCTV yeah. and where I also first saw Monty Python. And those were seminal uh, influences in my life as you know, most of us that, that, that do comedy or, or write, uh, it, it is absolutely one of those things where you just first, at least for me, I first realized that comedy could be whatever you wanted it to be didn't have to be uh, done by any rules. No, and those are and, and those examples you just cited are, are groundbreaking examples of <laughs> that's like the holy grail right there of uh, yeah and no 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 pun intended with Monty Python but yeah um, I, I grew up right across from, in, in Michigan right across the uh, the wave uh, over in Detroit so near Ontario and I would get the same yeah. feed and yeah, watching Monty Python is like a five-year-old and going, "What is what is this?" And oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, Canada always always was a one step ahead of us as far as um, comedy went. I thought. I think they're one step ahead of us in many ways. Many ways, too. many ways. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. certainly um, now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you've like you said, you're you're currently working on, on projects. Um, anything that you can talk about or anything you're. Um, it, it's, uh, I, I wrote, you know, I, have written so many for so long kind of, you know, sitcoms, either single camera or, you know, two or three jokes per page and everything's kind of tied up in the end. And, and that's fine. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are great shows. But as I got older, I really realized I, I, I don't want to write that anymore. I want to write stuff that matters to me. So mm -hmm. I have a, I, I, I wrote a thing called, uh, a script called Art Imitates Life, which is about a guy um, <clears throat> who's in his 50s and his wife is also in his 50s and he's an actor and he has to take care of his 86-year-old uh, father who lives with his 78-year-old uh, stepmother, which is wow. kind of right out of my life, I, more of my wife's life than mine, but uh, I, I've written it really, it came right out of my life. And uh, I just realized that it was something that that I wanted to get down on paper, and I didn't even know if it was going to be, uh, you know, successful or not. But I wanted to put it down, so I started writing it. And then my manager said, "This is great. We got it." You know, so he's sending it out. And then I also wrote one called um, it, it's called Hereafter, and uh, it's here period after period, and it's a story about uh, this guy who is an incredible asshole. And he's supposed to take a he's supposed to take a plane to go to he's, he's head of a CEO. He's supposed to take a plane to New York and he gets there too late and the door is closed and he tries to talk this uh, gate agent to letting him in. She doesn't. And the plane takes off on the runway, explodes, fireball. Everybody's killed. 
he finds out the gate agent is a person who's there to help him change his life. So he has to, oh. but the, but the deal is he has to go back and apologize to every single person he's wronged. So, and, but, but there's a whole group of people who, who want to, to, uh, stop that because they want his soul for them. So basically there's a lot of action in it. There's a lot of these people trying to get him, them, them, being able to get away from them. Anyway, it's, it's, you know, a little bit of a departure for me, but I really like it. And again, my, my manager seems to love it. So, you know, it's, it's going out there. I have, I have a meeting with Seth, Seth McFarland's people uh, next week. So we'll see. I mean, you know, it, it's all, I just write, I don't, I don't plan on ever working again. I just write like I, like I want to, you know, I'm not trying to write. The thing they always say is you should write what you want because the networks studios streaming they don't know what they want so you have to give them something and if you you just have to get write what you want to write and hopefully it'll jive with what they want at some point down the line that attitude is um i think we need more of that attitude being heard yeah. by people yeah because there is such an, uh, a fear base uh, in general around yeah. Um, not doing, doing what you feel like you have to do versus what you want to do. Um, right. you know, and, 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 uh, you know, Corey and I can both sit here and say, you know, th thankfully we can sit here and say that, that, that is working for us. Uh, and it doesn't work with everybody. I totally get that. I understand. But this idea of breaking through that fear of like, especially being a writer coming up with ideas and, and, and having it go, you know fall on deaf ears and then, okay, well, what can I do to make them happy kind of thing? Right. And once you're able to let go of that, how, how were, how were you able to let go of that and just say, no, I'm going to do what I, I want to do. Well, I, I was lucky enough, uh, you know, according to Jim, like I said, did 180 some episodes and it became syndicated. So it was kind of, you know, I, I suppose I could have retired on that, but, uh, I, I didn't want to, you know, I, I, yeah. I really still like writing. It wasn't, I wasn't writing to, to retire. I was, you know, writing to pay for my kid's college and everything else, but, but I was writing cause I actually liked it. So why would I retire from something that I'm enjoying? Right. And, you know, every day I, I kind of wake up and go, is this the day I'm going to not like it anymore? But I still <laughs> do. So I keep doing it. Can, um, can I ask a question about your like your sort of day-to-day -day writing uh, habits? Do you, do you yeah. write every day at a certain time or do you, do you write when you feel like it or you know do you have a schedule for yourself? I write when I feel like it. I, I try and do it in the morning because I'm I'm fresher and then when Tracy and I wrote for 15 years together, we always wrote from eight in the morning till noon. That was it. I I'd go to her house we write till eight in the morning till noon. but I, I don't necessarily do that. Sometimes I go to the gym in the mornings and maybe go in the afternoon whatever. But I always sit down and try and write three pages about something. It doesn't even have to be the script I'm working on. Um, uh, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a book out called The Artist's Way. And mm. the advice in that is to sit down every morning. They say as soon as you wake up or as you're having your coffee and write three pages on anything you want. It doesn't have to be anything important. You don't have to keep them. But that the most creative time in your, in your head is right when you wake up from sleep. Hmm. So it, I, I haven't, I don't really do that, but I still try and write three pages a day. And some of the stuff I look at and I go, well, this, you know, isn't going nowhere, but then some of it kind of spurs me on to, in fact, the, both scripts I told you about, I started out with one scene that I had just written on, on it and I didn't have an outline and I wrote another scene, another scene, another, another scene until I had, you know, five or 40 pages. So did, did you write them I don't like do in, outlines? Did did you write them like in succession, like day after day? Did you like were you feeling like a bit of inspiration in that moment for it, or did, did um, those few scenes come over time? Yeah, so, I mean, I would write. Sometimes I'd have one scene the next day, and then then I I think I got to about page twenty five, and I got stuck. So I I was I got well, I got to keep writing this, and then I didn't look at it for three months, and when I came back to it. I knew exactly what I had to do because I think as a writer, uh, retrospect is a very important thing to be able to come back to something when you've, 
when you put it out of your head because you come back yeah. to it and you can you you either say well this is just not going to work or you go okay i think i i think i understand what to do now it, it, because the creative process is a weird thing it it doesn't happen when you want it to happen it happens when it wants to happen so you can't sit there and make it happen you just have to kind of be open and be ready for it to happen and you know, like I said, it I would it wasn't happening for me for this particular script for three months, and then one day it just hit. Yeah, I I grew up um with a like a fine art background, um, magnet art programs in high school and all this kind of stuff, and yeah, it's it's you know same. It's I guess you know the creative process is kind of the same for whatever medium you're working in. But yeah, you you get stuck on something, and you're just staring at like a white page, and you're like, what am I doing here? But you know, you start working on something, and you put it down, you might come back to it a couple months later or a few days or whatever, and you just you see it in a whole new light, and and it, it and thus you're actually almost inspired by your own inspiration you know, to kind of move forward with it. Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you that I was a, I was a, an, a C or D student in a public school and it's still the, the creative process is the same for all of us, no matter, you know, no matter what we do. Uh, yeah. So, so it's just, it's just, you've got to be able to tap into it. And even people who don't think they're creative have just as much creative uh, juice as any of us. It's just that you've got to, you got to be open to it. You know, same, same with acting, same with acting and same with improv. Well, I want to say yeah. uh, thank you for being open to being on our show. First of all, oh, happy to, happy to. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's really honestly it, it's really a pleasure having you on, and and of course you know we wanted to talk about Fright Night and House Two and 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 those specific films, but I I'm just blown away and uh, really honored that you have taken the time to to give us so much insight. Thank you. Oh, I'm happy Thank to do you. it. I'm, I'm glad you guys uh, asked me and, and honored as well. And uh, I hope to see you at the convention soon. Well, well you can, whenever, you, can, you know. You can guarantee that Corey and I will be um, doing podcasting after dark type screenings. So, and, and like I said, Billy Cole will be, <laughs> Jonathan Stark will be the top build uh, guest for that. I mean, I'm happy to come in, especially if people were interested in thinking about the movie. I always assume that people are kind of not that interested, but then when I talk to guys like you and, and other people, I go, wow, I, yeah, I guess there's something to it. Maybe we'll, maybe I mean, we'll do a honestly, house two screening with Ari Gross. That would be interesting. <laughs> Ari would love to do that. I, I We were talking about that, that when I saw him. He said, oh, I'd, I'd love to do that. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. noted <laughs> yeah okay but i was just gonna attack tag on to the to the fright night discussion as as somebody who's you know rediscovered it when i'm older uh you know i, I watched it when i was a kid but man i mean it still holds up and that that's what's awesome about it and uh it's it's still like a great movie even in 2020 you know like it's it's a fun fun movie and it's the energy that that everyone brings to the table, but I gotta personally say it's Billy Cole for me. <laughs> oh, that's so nice of you. It's funny at the conventions, people come up to me, uh, not just you know they say they've seen it fifty times, but they bring their their kids who who they are showing it to. So it just it, Friday night, I'm sure, will be one of those movies that you know lasts is around a long time. Well, after I'm well, gone, anyway. I told my son who's who's six because he said. You know, he said, when, when am I going to be able to watch Fright Night? I said, you'll probably watch House 2 first before you watch Fright Night. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, <laughs> in exactly. a little while. Well, what do we have here? Vampire killers? When we're not virus in times, I usually get together with Tom and have uh, at a local pastry placer and have coffee and and we talk for a while he's just he's such a great guy and, and you know I, I will always owe him so much for casting me in that film a, a guy that had really never worked before so he's, well he's, it's, he's it's also man. nice it's also nice that he he is is such a again like a fan of film filmmaking yeah, and really it's, it's it's really exciting and inspiring um to to talk to him to talk to you to talk to steven to talk to people that love the process um so and the genre thank you so much yeah oh, and the genre my, yeah yeah uh, my, my pleasure and, and if you talk to steven please please tell him i said hi i will actually uh i'm supposed to call him later this week so i will okay. definitely do that um right. jonathan thank you so much for being on the show and i won't we won't say goodbye we'll say 
um, see you next time for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Jonathan Stark. And, as always, thank you for your support. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.